everyday witches emerge from the shadows of secrecy. Broom closets are flinging open and witches are taking flight. Whether you are hiding in your cozy closet or flying with pride, stay for a spell as witch casting with Theodora Pendragon and her guests share magical moments, stir the cauldron and debunk misinformation and misconceptions about paganism, witches and our wonderful world of magic. Welcome. Today I have a special guest, and his name is Boniface Wolfsong. Welcome, Boniface. Thank you. I'm honored to have you on the show, and today I would like to talk about your experience as a pagan. How long have you been a pagan? Um, I've been pagan since 1975. Although I was practicing witchcraft since 73, although I didn't realize it at the time, I do come from a family that we've always been very aware of our dreams and we tend to be very psychic. So I was practicing that in my childhood way before I even became aware of paganism. But you weren't a pagan all your life. So at some point you decided to become pagan or how did you fall into that path? Well, I was raised Catholic, and my parents made a mistake, and they sent me to Catholic school in fourth and fifth grade, and I got to see firsthand the uh, interaction with the kids that the nuns and the priests had, and that turned me away from Catholicism. I then went looking for another religion, and I couldn't find anything that really suited me, so I became atheist, and I was atheist all through high school until suddenly I started reading some uh, philosophy by Alan Watts, and I decided that it fit me, and I became pagan in 1975. It was through the paganism there that I eventually found Freemasonry, and then from Freemasonry found Wicca and paganism. Now, did you find it through people or through books? Well, I found it through people. I had come across some people that had advertised on a bulletin board in a bookstore that they were looking for others that were interested in Kabbalah and mysticism, occultism. And being a Freemason at the time, I was studying Kabbalah in Freemasonry. So I contacted these people. Eventually, I had an astral projection that initiated me in a certain way. I had already become friends with one of these people that I met through the bulletin board, and I told him about this astral projection. And he said, that sounds an awful lot like Wicca. And he turned me on to a book to spiral dance. So it kind of was a domino effect of becoming pagan, then Freemason, then finding the friends, and then them turning me on to Wicca, and then being initiated into Wicca. So you found your community pretty early on. Yes, uh, way before the internet. It was very difficult to find a community back then. I actually had to advertise in the newspaper in the classifieds 
in kind of a weird, mysterious way. I said, are you crafty? I'm interested in the old craft. And three ladies contacted me. I like that. Are you crafty? Yeah, they they thought I was a college student looking for an interview or something. When they found out that I was actually interested in the craft itself as a religion, they were pleasantly surprised. And they've been my friends ever since. That is so neat. In fact, one of them was priestess for my wedding. For your wedding. Does that mean that your wife also shares the same beliefs? Uh, Yes, she does. And I use the word wedding, hand fasting is the normal thing to call it in the in the craft, but uh, wedding, hand fasting, doesn't matter, we got hitched. Did you meet your wife through the pagan community? Yes and no. I was working at an occult bookstore. She came into the bookstore. I was giving workshops on the craft in the bookstore, and a friend of hers had come in, and her friend wanted to know if I was a scam artist or not. Since my wife knew more about the craft than she did, he asked her to come and check me out and make sure I wasn't wasn't a scam artist. So when she came in, she and I got to talking. Eventually, I asked her out, and the rest is um, is history. So she had to find out if you were credible for her friend, but it led to a date with you for herself. Yes. That's quite a story. (laughs) She start, She said she was looking for a certain poster of a mermaid, and, and we have it hanging in our hallway. And I said, well, we could order it for you. And she said, no, I don't want to order it. I'll just come back in and check on it. She told me later that she didn't want to order it because she wanted an excuse to keep coming back in. Oh, that's real sweet. And she kept coming back in until I finally asked her out. How long did that take? Not very long. <laughs> Uh, I'd say a week or two. Oh, that's not long at all. Well, that's really neat that you two have the same beliefs and you were on the same path to begin with. So it's not like you had to tell her sometime down the line, hey, guess what? This is what I believe in. No, no, it was actually fairly easy. And we had stories to relate how each of us came to the craft. That's neat. Can you tell us how uh, the pagan community has changed over the decades? Sure. Um, I can remember early on the pagan community, and and it wasn't very much called the pagan community back then. It was called witches. The craft was very, very secretive. There was a satanic panic going on. And people were being not only arrested, but taken to court. Their children were being taken away at that time. So witches were very leery about inviting somebody they didn't know into their community. Like I said, I did put a classified ad, and they had to check me out and make sure that I really was interested in the religious aspect and not for some ulterior motive. And that took quite a while. That has changed. The amount of secrecy has lessened a great deal. The amount of trust, the fact that we are now on the internet and people can contact us, that is very new to me. Originally, the only way you could be in the craft was to be initiated, and you had to know someone personally. Nowadays, you can go online and you can find a coven by just searching 
It's so much easier now to find community. Oh, yes, it is. And in fact, there are functions that go on like uh, Pagan Pride Day where you can go to it without knowing anybody and they will welcome you and they'll talk to you. So it is very much easier. I remember when my wife and I first got married, she had a daughter who was 11 years old when we got married. And then we had a child after that. And we were very afraid of um, the Christians, the satanic panic that was going on in the early 90s, because we thought that they might take our children away, which had happened in another part of the country. So our defense against that was to be totally open. If we were totally open and honest with what we believed, we couldn't be accused of trying to hide anything. So we actually attempted to be as open as possible, and that worked out for us. So after being uh, very secretive and then deciding to come out more public, was that a scary experience or was it easier than you anticipated? It was scary because we worried about losing our children, and, and that was happening at the time for other people. But it was not scary because we made an agreement that we would be as open and honest as possible. Now, I was attending uh, the University of Texas in San Antonio for a while, and I, was, I remember being in a study group, and I was an art major, and we were studying this one painting by Hieronymus Bosch. And one woman at the, in the study group said, let me ask you a question, because we were touching on religious themes. She said, do you have a personal relationship with God? I said, yes, I do. At that moment, I decided that I was going to answer all her questions honestly, but not say I was a witch. And she asked me a series of questions, and I answered every one of them truthfully. Suddenly, she slaps her hands together and says, I knew you were a born-again Christian. What? Yep. And that told me right there that the differences between us were not that great. When I answered every one of her questions honestly, she took me as one of her own. So it's only the label. It's only the name that says we're different. We're really believing the same things if we could just get over the label. Absolutely. Did you come forward and tell her that you weren't Christian, or did you let her believe that you were a Christian? I let her believe it. It was good for the study group. <laughs> I was open. Anybody that knew me or talked to me or even asked me directly, what is your religion? I would tell them. So I was open at the time. She just didn't bother to ask me what religion I was in. She just assumed I was, uh, I was a born-again Christian. That's interesting. Now, you know the Bible pretty well, wouldn't you say? Fairly well, yes. Would you say you know it as well or even better as those who read the Bible and follow the Bible? I'd say you probably know it better than most Christians. Your average Christian doesn't really read the Bible a whole lot. That's what I've found for myself. In fact, when I was working uh, at one of the Air Force bases in town here, there was a fellow that was very Christian. He was a deacon of his church, and he and I would discuss religion all the time. And I mentioned that he knew the Bible more than me. And he said, oh, no, no, no. You know the Bible way better than I do. In fact, better than most people that I know. And that kind of shocked me because 
here was a man who was a deacon in his church, yet he said my knowledge of the Bible was better than his own. And he probably discovered that just in the conversations that the two of you had, that you were more knowledgeable. Yep, that's how he discovered it. Have you ever had anybody come knocking on your door, considering that we live in the Bible Belt? Anybody come and want to preach to you about their religion? Yes, all the time. Um, In fact, I usually surprise them because I invite them in. Uh, I ask them to sit down on my couch. I offer them tea or coffee, and we begin to talk. Uh, I remember one couple of ladies that came in, and we got to talking, and I started to ask the questions about their religion. And we got on kind of a little hairy subject about the historicity of their religion. And I brought up the fact that um, Joseph Smith was a Freemason and that the mistakes in the Book of Mormon were the same mistakes linguistically that were made in the King James Bible. They got very offended at that and jumped up from their seats and wanted to leave. And I I said, now, wait a second. I, I didn't go knocking at your door. You came at mine. I was polite. I invited you in. I offered you tea, coffee. And now, because I ask an uncomfortable question, you're going to leave. What do you think made them feel uncomfortable? Was it because you used the word mistake? I did. I used that the same mistakes that were made linguistically in the King James translation of the Bible were the same mistakes that were made in the Book of Mormon. So my question was, do you think God made the same mistakes when he told Joseph that the King James version did? That offended them. And I, I asked them, please, sit back down and let's talk about this like adults. And I kind of shamed them into sitting back down, and we continued our conversation. And then what happened? Well, we had a very nice conversation. We went on to other topics. Uh, They agreed to disagree and eventually found a way to excuse themselves. But oftentimes, two people will approach you at the same time at the door. There was one person that came to the door and asked me if he could read me a quote from the Bible. I said, sure, go right ahead. And he read the passage where it says that Jesus will come back and from out of his mouth will come a flaming sword. And I stopped him. I said, hold on a second. Let me let me ask you a question about that. I said, Jesus is going to come back and a flaming sword is going to come out of his mouth. He said, oh, no, not not a literal flaming sword. It's metaphorical. I said, does it say that in the Bible? This is a metaphor. No, but it's understood. It makes common sense that it would. it's not a literal flaming sword. I said, so walking on water could be taken metaphorically as well. He goes, oh, no, that's literal. So I asked him, who decides? Who decides a virgin birth is literal and not metaphorical? Flaming sword is metaphorical and not literal. Walking on water and so on. I, I cited several examples. I said, Is there notes in the sides of the Bible that it said this is not to be taken literally, and that is? Well, the young fellow that was with him, he suddenly said, yeah. And he turns to his partner and says, what about that? How do we know what's to be taken literally and not? And I almost started to convert the young fellow to my way of thinking. He started agreeing with me. So the older fellow said, 
I'm not smart enough to answer your questions. Let me send back some elders. They'll know how to answer your questions. I said, okay, do that. And about a week later, the next weekend, some elders arrived and we had a conversation and then they excused themselves and said, let me send some elder elders <laughs> and they'll talk to you. Eventually I got blacklisted. Nobody comes to my door. Nobody talks to me. I'm known to be a questioner and they can't answer my questions. So they've stopped knocking. Maybe you make them feel ignorant or they realize how ignorant they are about the Bible. I don't know how I make them feel. Uh, I make them feel uncomfortable. That I can tell. And it's because, to me, the truth will take any question. The truth will remain the truth if it is truth, no matter what question is asked. And that is the strength in my religion. I will take anybody's question about my religion. Because if that question says, oh, you've been wrong on this, I will change my belief. I will change what I do. That was excellent. Your question told me I've been doing wrong in following this practice, and I will change my practice. That's not so for the Bible thumpers. They want to stay with their practice no matter what. And if the question points out an untruth, then they become uncomfortable because now they're going to continue a practice that they've been shown to be untrue. So they don't want to be shown as doing that. They want to believe that their faith is true no matter what, and they're not willing to alter it. That is unfortunate. See, I like what the Dalai Lama said. Somebody asked the Dalai Lama, if science were to prove one of your Buddhist practices as wrong, what would you do? And he said, I will change my practice. And that's how I feel. Well, most Christians don't feel that way unfortunately. Uh, that's why I believe Christianity is out of sync with modern-day science. See, Christianity, when it was formed 5,000, 6,000 years ago, was in agreement with the science of the day. But the practice of Christianity has remained the same and unaltered. But science has evolved. Science has grown and moved on. But it's still in agreement with the science of 5,000 years ago. The only way I believe to keep your religion relevant is for it to change with the current mode of science. Science is the true judge of reality. Now, have you ever been accused of worshiping Satan? Yes, uh, one time. Uh, I was at work, and there was a lady that said my God was an abomination to hers and that it was satanic. Fortunately, the president of the company was also a Freemason. He brought the lady into the office with me, and he said, you've been warned about this before. Other people's religions are not your concern. Now, I know this man is a Freemason, and he believes in God. That's all I need to know. You don't need to talk to him. And she was warned. And then that stopped the conversation between her and I. And, and I told her, I said, I don't mind that you think my God is an abomination. I, I really don't care. You can think it's an abomination all you want, but we're not here to talk about that. We're here to work. And what you're doing is hindering our workplace environment from doing the work we need to do. And it stopped. And that was the only one time that you were accused of that? Yeah. 
You're very fortunate. I think what has made me fortunate is that I'm honest. I remember one time uh, my youngest daughter was going to high school and I would go to the parking lot and I would pick her up. Well, I have a large bumper sticker on my on the back of my car and it has my Wiccan website on it. So this fellow comes up and he knocks on my window and I roll it down and I, I said, yes, can I help you? And he says, I noticed your bumper sticker. Are you a witch? And I said, yes, I am. He says, I'd like to talk to you about that. I said, of course. So I step out of the car and I stand there. I said, what would you like to know? And he starts to ask me questions and essentially like, what is Wicca? What is witchcraft? And I said, it's an old religion. It's basically a worship of nature. It was the religion of Western Europe, of our ancestors. And we continued the conversation for about 15, 20 minutes. And by the end of it, he was shaking my hand. He says, I'm very glad I talked to you. You have changed my mind about what Wiccans are. He was glad to have met me. Did he ever tell you what he thought Wiccans were before your conversation with him? Well, we had just met at that point. He did mention he was kind of leery about the religion and was the reason he approached me was I was waiting in the high school parking lot and he wanted to make sure of what I was doing there. So I know he was suspicious of me. And the fact that I was just there to pick up my daughter and I practiced a religion different than his own, but was not evil in any way, it surprised him. And he said he was pleasantly surprised and turned out to be very friendly with me, shook my hand, and we parted ways. You know, quite often I hear people who don't know much about paganism, Wicca, they think we're evil. Why do you think that they believe that? People are afraid of what they don't know. The cure for not knowing something is information. Answer every question honestly. Answer truthfully. And don't take it as an assault. Take it as a search for knowledge. And that's the way I take it. You ask me a question, I will answer it honestly. When they have the information, they stop fearing you. They go, oh. We're a lot more alike than I realized. Something that I've had to learn over the years is not to be on the defensive and take a breath and come across as I'm giving you information. Let me tell you who I am and who I'm not. Exactly. See, and I think that's one of the things that has changed a lot. You originally asked about paganism way back. Everybody was very much on the defensive. That is different nowadays. People are not so much on the defensive anymore, and that's why we're able to be much more open. Do you also think it's because there's much more information now available, like in bookstores? Yes, I I think so. I mean, we've gotten a large section that's almost entirely devoted to our practices now. It was very difficult back then to even find a book that related to it. And you'd go into a regular bookstore, there was nothing on Wicca, there was nothing. You you had to have it ordered by the bookstore. Amazon was not around, so you couldn't order from them. And the New Age section was very small. Oh, yes, very small. Like one shelf. Yeah, and it usually had to do with astrology. A, a lot of astrology, it had to do with tarot cards, and that was about it. 
What is your involvement now with the pagan community in the 21st century? I have, um, I taught a workshop for a long time, although I'm not teaching it at the moment. Uh, the bookstore that I was teaching it at has gone out of business. The gentleman that was a friend of mine uh, retired and he sold everything in the bookstore. So there's no place for me to carry that on that, uh, that workshop. I did lead some services at Lackland Air Force Base. Uh, not a lot of them, but for a few months, I went there and taught the craft or taught about the craft to the, uh, the trainees and the basic uh, units, kind of helping the people that were there already teaching. I have been a priest for two covens, three covens, actually, three covens. Uh, they're all now defunct now. Uh, we all went our separate ways as, as my students learned essentially everything I had to teach them. I said, it's time to dissolve the coven and you move on to somebody else and learn some new things. That's essentially my practice. I practice privately. I go outside my backyard. I look at nature. I'll build a fire in my, uh, in my fire pit, meditate on it. Different seasons, I look at where the sun rises and sets and just essentially enjoy nature. That That is my basic form of worship, is to go out and sit in nature. Throughout this interview, you mentioned the craft and witches. Have you ever been referred to as a warlock? No. You have not? Now, I was referred to as a dark witch, a, a sorcerer, but not a warlock. How that happened is a brother of mine in the fraternity, in the Masonic fraternity, had gone to the office of the Scottish Rite Cathedral. He was talking to the secretary, and the secretary mentioned that there was a mason in the lodge above that was a black sorcerer. He did black magic. Well, the brother she was talking to, who she was relating this to, was a member of my coven. And he told me about it. He said, they actually think, they know about you and they think that you're a sorcerer that practices black magic. But that was, that was the only other way I heard about it. So they just made this up? Essentially. Yep, they knew nothing about me. And in fact, she was talking to someone that was a member of my coven. And he was a Christian Wiccan. <laughs> he wasn't a Christian pagan, because pagan means not Christian. He was a Christian Wiccan, which means he worshipped Jesus. He worshipped God and the Trinity as he knew it in Christianity. But he used the Wiccan format for the ritual that he worshipped them in. And there was no conflict. He was a very good witch. He just happened to be Christian. When did you notice that Pagan Pride Day started? Because they probably didn't have Pagan Pride Day years ago. It's something new, isn't it? It's fairly new. Um, of course, at my age, a, a lot of things out there are fairly new. So, uh, But it was because of my wife that I discovered it. She is very active socially. I'm not as quite as social a person as she is. So she's much more involved in the social aspect of the community. And she told me uh, she was going to it. And I said, oh, 
Can I go? And she said, of course, everybody can come. And that's how I discovered it. And that was a local Pagan Pride Day where you live? Uh, yes. And it must be must be 10 years, 10 years ago that it happened. And now they have it every year, right? Yes, and in various cities. But we also have what's called Pagan Night Out. That's a much more local thing. And that is a... Um, a monthly meeting instead of annually, like uh, Pagan Pride Day is an annual meeting. Witches Night Out is a monthly meeting. And we all get together at a local uh, restaurant. It has a bar and, and food. And we just sit and talk and socialize, a way to get to know one another, talk about the craft and magic and what everybody's doing. And it's always at the same restaurant? Yes. Whenever we find a pagan-friendly venue, we like to hang on to it and give them business. So uh, so we give them our business. So they know that there's a crowd of pagans coming on Pagan Night Out, correct? The restaurant's very familiar with the the group. Right. That's wonderful. Yeah, they even opened the place one time. They were closed. There's a, a lot of work going on by the city on the roads around it. And they were closed. And they actually opened for us during Saturday morning for a brunch, specifically for the pagans, because we bring enough people in. That's nice. These workshops that I gave, I I gave the workshop every single week for seven years. And there was always a different topic. So I have a lot of material. And then it stopped. I took a break because after seven years, I was kind of getting a little burnt out. I took a break for five years and then started it again and did it for another three years. And that was a weekly thing where I gave a two-hour workshop on a different topic every week. That's dedication. Craziness, one of the two. (laughs) (laughs) I bet you met a lot of interesting people. Oh, yes. I didn't charge much. The The place that we held it at required that we charge because they wanted to pay for the room. And I charged a bare minimum. It was $5 a meeting. Almost all of it would go to the bookstore to, you know, help pay for the room. Because it was open to everybody, I'd get people with all kinds of questions. And the one question that kept popping up is, why do you do this for so long? And really, you don't make any money off of it. I said, I do it to improve myself in the craft because by exposing myself to people with different questions, it allows me to take those questions, internalize them and go, wow, I never thought of it from that perspective. How do I approach that? What do I think? Am I wrong? It was a way for me to learn and improve myself by having these questions asked of me. And that's the reason I did the workshop. Yes, I helped a lot of people. So I was told, they said, you helped me a lot. And I did help them, but they helped me back. I learned from every single one of them. And that to me is what a witch is. A witch is someone that acquires information and knowledge and internalizes it and begins to practice it. Well, how do you practice something that you're not aware of? Have people ask you questions and bring topics that you're not used to being put in that uncomfortable situation is only uncomfortable for a certain amount of time. After a while, you'll take any question because if what I believe is true, it's going to take any question. 
And I want those questions asked. And that's why I did the workshop for so long. I remember the store that you're talking about. It was one of the first stores in San Antonio back in the 80s. Am I correct? Yes. It was called the Unlimited Thought Bookstore. Yes. I remember that in the 80s. And it was a small store. And then it grew. There weren't many metaphysical stores back in those days. But now they're popping up everywhere. We have a nice selection. Yes. We we do have a good selection. Unfortunately, they don't last very long. The Unlimited Thought Bookstore lasted for a very long time, and I think it was because they did grow. They did evolve. I remember I found the bookstore on the second day it had opened. I'd walked in, and the owner of the bookstore, who I eventually became friends with, was sitting back in his chair. He had his feet up on the counter, and he had, I remember seeing this large hole in the bottom of his shoe. The man was broke. But he was reading a book. All the books were the same in the bookstore. They were about Ramtha, which I personally wasn't interested in. And eventually I asked him, I said, are you going to be getting other kinds of books? He says, oh, yes, I I have plans for others. And he began to grow it. That is what kept the bookstore vital for so long, is that everybody that walked in, he took their ideas and expanded with it. Yeah. In fact, when uh, my wife and I were married, uh, the owner of the bookstore attended my hand fasting. So he was there. You published a couple of books. Would you like to talk about them briefly? Of course. Um, I have two books. One is The Wiccan Tao, and the other is The Heretics Tarot. Now, The Wiccan Tao is a translation of the Tao Te Ching, which is in Chinese. It took me a long time to actually translate this because I don't speak Chinese. So I had to acquire a dictionary and a book with the connotations of words in Chinese. And I actually had to translate every single word from the Chinese over. In addition, I read, I'd say about 30 different translations to get the gist. And the reason I wanted to translate this book is because it talks about a way of interacting with nature that is very pagan. One thing the Chinese didn't have is something like the Inquisition, which we had in Western Europe. The Inquisition stopped a lot of people from talking openly about their practices because they were fearful of being hauled in by the Inquisition. Well, the Chinese didn't have this. And the Tao Te Ching talks about the way and the power of nature, the Tao. So when I read that book, I see my paganism in it. It's one of the very earliest books I read. And each translation is slightly different. So I decided that I wanted a translation that specifically spoke to the craft. And that's what I did. The second book, The Heretics to Row, there's been a pattern spoken of in rumor about the trove for a very long time, that there is a secret pattern that will tell you the meanings of the cards. And I accidentally stumbled upon this pattern, the story of how I discovered the pattern and then what it means and how I put it to use. So it's not too much about how to read the cards. It's about the philosophy behind the system of the tarot deck. And both of those books are available on Amazon, correct? They are. And I'm about to issue a third book, which is a uh, Lycian Book of Shadows, 
I'm in the final editing stage right now, and I should be releasing it, I'd say, within the next uh, two, three months. We'll have to have you back to talk about the book once it's published. All right. Uh, I'd be happy to. Well, thank you for being my guest. Boniface has been wonderful. And you shared so much about all these decades of you being a pagan and how it's changed and everything's getting better for us. And I'm glad that it has changed the way it has. It's so much nicer and more comfortable nowadays than it was in the past. Uh, We should be appreciative of that. And thank you for having me on. You're welcome. I always say it's never been a better time to be a witch. Definitely. Thank you for joining us for Witch Casting with Theodora Pendragon. Have a burning question or have a topic you'd love Theodora and her guests to discuss on the show? Contact her through Instagram at Theodora Pendragon. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. And help us spread the word by leaving us a rating and review and sharing it with your friends. See you next time, and may your magic always shine. Thank you.